0: The following presentation is brought to you by Perusia. Please stay tuned at the end for more information about the many fine resources available from Perusia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory, blessing and thanksgiving on this day. We thank you for the gift of our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as the body of Christ, as the people of God, to talk about the role of the Blessed Mother uh, during these troubling and confusing times. Lord, we ask you to send us the Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and our minds, to always receive and be faithful to your holy will in our lives, with the Blessed Virgin Mother as our example. Let us always follow you faithfully. Let us always say yes to your will in our lives. Mary always leads us to her son. Let us follow him with courage, passion, and conviction, so that we may be with you forever in the joy and the beauty of heaven. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. In 1976, at an address at the Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States, Carol Cardinal Wojtyla, who would become Pope the future, St. John Paul II, one of the most Marian popes in the history of the church, made this prophetic statement. We are now standing in the face of the greatest confrontation humanity has ever experienced. I don't think the Christian community realized this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, between Christ and the antichrist. This confrontation lies within the plans of divine providence. It is therefore in God's plan, and it must be a trial which the church must take up and face courageously. 43 years later, we find ourselves in the midst of a culture that acts as if God were dead. And where the allurement and temptation of sin, the atrocities of abortion and euthanasia, the plagues of pornography and human trafficking, and the so-called redefinition of marriage are slowly killing the life of God in us. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. That's from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Jesus says that people will literally be scared to death in anticipation of what is coming upon the world. Something so dreadful that even the powers of heaven will be shaken. Our Lord says that in Luke chapter 21. The persecution to come will be in the form of a religious deception offering humanity an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. So instead of focusing on being made in the image and likeness of God, we are living in a culture that's trying to make God in its own image and likeness. The fact that our society is being shaped by moral and cultural relativism shows that Christ, that the Antichrist deception has already began to take shape in the world. However, we know that death does not have the final say. And that the church will enter into the glory of the kingdom only through this final Passover. By God's victory over the final unleashing of evil, which will cause his bride to come down from heaven. The words of our Lord and Savior are clear. God's triumph over the revolt of evil will take the form of the last judgment after the final cosmic upheaval of this passing world. So what does that mean for us, brothers and sisters in Christ? This is not a time for wimps or cowards. Our Blessed Mother assures us that if we dedicate ourselves to prayer and make a serious effort to live the truth of our faith, then strengthened by Christ's body and blood in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, we can overcome the weakness of sin and break the hold that Satan has on us that prevents us from becoming the people who God created us to be. Let us heed the words of our blessed Mother son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by being vigilant at all times and pray that we have to escape the tribulations that are imminent. We can only be prepared if we are truly free from the slavery of sin. And this freedom can be found in its fullness in the image of the crucified Christ. If we follow him with courage and conviction, he will lead us out of the heart of darkness and into his own wonderful life. Now, am I saying that the end of the world is here? No. Why? Because Jesus was very clear. No one knows the day or the hour. But so many people have tried to predict. Remember when year 2000 came? Y2K. All the computers are going to fail. We're going to go into this age of darkness. And the Ice Age is going to come back and blah, blah, blah. we still here. I remember one guy said he put up this big billboard in Times Square in New York City. The world's going to end in April, like 2016. We still here. <laughs> Jesus was very clear. Nobody knows when the end of the world is going to come. In fact, the apostles already thought they were living in the end times. They, Paul thought that during his lifetime, Jesus was going to come back. See, here's the thing we have to remember, My friends. We don't have to, we should not be worrying about the end of the world. We need to worry about the end of our world. Because that's when we're going to meet Jesus. And we need to be ready. Because Jesus, no one knows the day of the hour. I guarantee you, no one in this room knows the day of the hour when you're going to die. So we always need to be ready. We always need to be prepared. And that's why the Lord has allowed the Blessed Mother to come and to warn us and to give us courage and strength in these troubling times. See, Satan is trying to kill the life of God in us, to drive a wedge between love and life. We are in a war against a culture that is trying to destroy our faith by eradicating religious freedom, by ignoring and spitting on the natural moral law that is implanted into the hearts of each and every one of us by God himself. Instead of embracing the beautiful truth that God loves us and that love has sprung forth in life-giving intimacy and communion, we are. This culture is trying to say, "No, I'm God." Remember, you in, a, in a, a Genesis three in the garden, you will be like God. Our blessed Mother revealed to Lucia that this way of thinking and acting and being has eternal consequences. Why is a Blessed Mother important? I was telling the teachers this in a talk I gave just now. You know, so many people say, well, the Catholic Church looks down on women because we, we won't ordain them priests because priests are fathers and women are not fathers. They are mothers. They're awesome, awesome mothers, but they're not fathers. So they're saying in order to a woman to be really a woman, you have to be a man to be a woman. That makes no sense. Think about it. The greatest saint in the history of our church is a wife and a mother, not a man, not a priest, not a pope. A wife and a mother, two values that are eschewed by our culture today. The greatest example of what it means to be human is a woman. The greatest example of what it means to follow God's will perfectly is a woman. And I was telling, I was explaining today that, for example, the church says, people say, well, the church is like women because even in Genesis, look, the woman's created after the man. See, the man is first and then the woman's created after the man. No, the woman's not created second after the man. She's created last. Last. Think about it. in the way the Hebrew people understood cosmology when they, in, in the book of Genesis, there was heaven where God lives. There was the heavens where the sun and the moon and the stars and that's where they live. Then there's the heavens in the sky with the clouds and the, the, the blue sky and all that. So that was the first three days of creation, the three heavens, if you will. The next three days, God populates those three heavens. Then on the, the culmination of creation, on day six. After he creates everything, what's last? Man, male and female, he created them. So humanity is the culmination, the high point, the apex, the mountaintop of God's creation. But oh, so what's the last thing, the very last thing, the cherry on top of the ice cream? Woman. Notice in Genesis 1, all the stuff, then male and Female he created them. In Genesis 2, man, Adam, all the animals and stuff, then the woman from his side. She's created not second, she's created last because God saves his best work for last. Why is that important? Very simply this. The woman and every woman, you have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because every Sunday we pray in the Latin Rite, credo espiritus spiritus sanctus dominum et vivificantem." I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Every woman has a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit because by the very nature of how God created you, even, but even if you never have a baby, by the very nature of how God created you, you are a life giver and the life bearer. That's the culmination of God's creation. And that's why Satan went after the woman first in Genesis 3. He want, she was the last to be created, and she's the first that Satan goes after. The pinnacle of God's creation. And he lies to her, just like our culture is lying to us now. Here's the difference. She falls for the lie. She falls for the lie. And God sets up a plan for us right from the beginning to restore salvation. Now, how does he do it? See, here's the thing. People say, well, when does Mary first show up in the scriptures? Well, physically, she shows up in the Gospels. But I think she first shows up in the book of Genesis. Now, if you look at Genesis 3.15, often called the Proto-Evangelium or the First Gospel, God says to the snake, to Satan, the Nahash. By the way, Nahash uh, means monster, not some little garden snake that wraps around a tree. It means a monster. That's what attacked the woman. It says, I will put enmity, that means complete and perfect opposition, between you, Nahash, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now, if you read that, what woman would you think That he's talking about. No, not Mary. Think about it. This is Genesis 1. There's a man and his wife and a snake. That's it. So when God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, naturally you think he's talking about Eve, because there's only one woman. But how do we know that it's not Eve? that is actually looking forward to the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's three clues for me. First of all, the punishment involves two people, the snake and the woman, but God is only addressing the snake. So if the punishment involves two people, why is it only talking to one of them? Let me give you an example. When my twins were about four or five years old, we have a rule in our house. No ball playing in the house. Balls are for outside, not inside. But in my state of Oregon, during the wintertime, it rains a lot. And so I guess the twins thought, well, we'll make this one exception and play ball in the house. So I was upstairs in the bedroom. I heard crash. I run downstairs. The lamp next to the television fell over, broke on the ground. There's a ball, and there's the twins. Who did it they're pointing to each other he did it she did it he did it she did it who would I punish both so if here the punishment involves two people why is God only talking to one of them because I think this woman is looking forward to Mary because when God makes this prediction enmity between you and the woman to your seed and her seed, the devil's going to only be the only one to be around to see this come to fruition. That's my first clue. Second clue, he calls her the woman. Now, in Semitic languages like Hebrew and Aramaic, there are no superlative words. So we use words like the greatest, the best, the most to describe something to the highest degree. They didn't have words like that. So in order to describe something, they used a prepositional phrase. For example, Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords, because he's the greatest of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Or they said something three times. So let's count. One, at the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus is there, Mary's there, disciples are there, and they run out of wine. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have been to a wedding reception. And you're asking yourself, well, how could they run out of wine? At my daughter's wedding, I had plenty to drink. How long was the wedding feast back in the time of Jesus? Seven days. They party for, they ran out of wine sometime during that seven days. Mary's embarrassed for them. So she goes to Jesus. Son, they have no wine. Now, Jesus' answer seems like disrespectful. Woman, what is this between me and thee? Dude, dude, Jesus. <laughs> she just asked for some wine, man. What, what, but it seems disrespectful. Doesn't it? I mean, for example, if, if my wife said to my son, Benjamin, Benjamin, clean your room. And he said, woman, what is this? Oh, <laughs> Benjamin, you in trouble, right? That's disrespectful. But here's what I think was going on. The blessed mother asked the Lord to do something supernatural. So he refers to her by her supernatural name, woman. So it wasn't disrespectful at all. He's referring back to Genesis, the woman. Second, at the foot of the cross, who does Jesus give care of his mother to? John. How's he do it? Woman, here's your son. Again, referring to her as woman. A supernatural title, why? Because it symbolizes giving care of the church to the apostles. Third, Revelation 12, verse 1. The woman with the crown of 12 stars around her head, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, about to give birth. Come on now, that's Mary. Woman, woman, woman. Woman, three times. Last, and biggest clue for me, says between your seed and her seed. Who provides the seed in the relationship? The man. Maybe you need another biology class. (laughs) Remember? I know it's probably been a long time. but (laughs) Yeah, the man provides the seed. But clearly, it says her seed. I only know one woman that provided a complete and perfect human nature for her child with only her seed providing the humanity. And that is the Blessed Virgin Mary. So right from the beginning, what is the Lord saying here? You used the woman, the heart of love, to bring sin into the world. I'm going to use the most blessed of all women to bring salvation into the world. You try to destroy covenant relationship with me, by destroying the family. I'm going to restore intimate, personal, loving and life-giving communion through the holy family. And he sets it up right from the beginning. So in these times that we're in right now, they are troubling. Now I personally believe. There is a course correction coming. Now, and I'm not the only one that believes there's many other faithful Catholics that I talked to, including priests, including exorcists, that believe, because think about it. Think think about the Old Testament, for example. God could only take so much. He sends the prophets to warn people, hey, you guys need to change it up here because you guys are seriously disrespecting me. What did they do? They killed the prophets. Then he sent Babylon. If you guys don't want to listen, maybe these guys will turn. And, they didn't and then he had to make a, send a course. I think something a course correction is coming. I think God can only take so much. And he's trying to send prophets. And let's be real. The priests are keeping their mouths shut. Because they're so beat up over the sex abuse thing that they don't want to talk about pro-life. They don't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about redefinition marriage. They don't want to talk about transgender. They don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Let's talk about the environment and migrants and safe stuff. So nobody will nobody will attack us anymore. Meanwhile, they're trying to remove their ability to hear confessions. If you if you they're trying to force them to break the seal of confession. See, here's the problem: the, something happens in the culture, and how does the church respond? We send press releases and make statements. After something has already happened, what we need to do is get in front of these issues. We need to be the ones that are dictating the pace. We need the ones that are are going to be creating culture. All we're doing is playing catch up. We're being reactive when we need to be proactive. And because I think God's disappointed with what's going on, because even the bishops are confused. They can't agree on stuff. He's going to send a course correction. Now, we need to be, I, I don't know what that, the, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no idea. But I think something is coming. And I think we need to be ready. So you need to get yourself to confession, get yourself the Eucharistic adoration, start praying the rosary, and start listening to our Blessed Mother, again, in the approved apparitions. I'm not going to make any controversy. I just, I stay with the church. So I stay with the approved apparitions, which I'm going to be talking about tonight. So what's Mary's role in the last days? The book of Revelation says, this is great. This is, see, this is why I love being Catholic, why the Catholic church here. I remember I was in adoration after the death of my mother. Someone I was very, very close to, because if some of you know the story, I'm going to talk a little bit about my dad at the end, because what we're talking about tonight had played a significant role in my father's life. Um, We were very, very close to my mother. And my mother, uh, I left the monastery monastic life, not because I wanted to, because my mother became deathly ill. And I had to leave to take care of her and my sister who was still in high school. But that illness caused a 20-year slow decline in her health to the point where we sh- she could not live by herself. So we decided to move her to Oregon to live with us. So she lived with me the last three years of her life. And I loved having my mom with me. She had spent a lot of her life taking care of me when I was little, and all through school and paying for things and all of that, now it's my turn, and I was honored to have my mother in my house. My kids got a chance to know their grandma. Now, at first, they were a little bit scared of her, even though she was, like, that big, right? But she was on oxygen. You know, she had the tube in her nose, and she was in permanently disabled by then, and so the kids were a little bit scared, except for Benjamin. I remember the first day I wheeled my mom in the wheelchair into the house, um, and, you know, with her stuff. The kids were a little bit, you know, kind of high, but Benjamin ran up and jumped on her lap, in the wheelchair. I was like, here we go, you know. he I mean, from day one. And, and they built this beautiful relationship. And I used to take my mom to mass on Sunday. And so I, I wasn't traveling back then. I, I, I haven't left my job or anything like that yet. So I wasn't traveling as much. But I'd take my mom to church, and I'd wheel her in. And her spot was front row left. And the front row on the left side of church. That was her seat. If anybody tried to sit there, get up. That's the Deacon's mother's seat. Get up. You know how we are about our seat. I'm a ten o'clocker. That's my seat. I'm eleven thirty mass. That's my seat back there, in the, right? And my mom and I had this thing. Whenever I got up to read the gospel, I would stand there, wait for the hallelujah to finish. I'd look down, at my mom, my mom would look up at me. We have a little mother son eye contact before I read the gospel. That was our little thing that we had, and we did that for three years. Beautiful. And then the weekend, I went to EWTN. I actually spoke at a men's conference in Texas. Then I flew to EWTN. To, I was filming a television series. So I was at Sunday night, dinner with my producer and his wife, talking about the shoot coming up the next day. During, after ordering appetizers, um, the phone, my cell phone rang, and it was an emergency room doctor saying that my mother had a massive heart attack She was in active heart failure and she was in a coma and they didn't think she was going to make it through the night. Meanwhile, while I'm on the phone with the doctor, my wife is trying to call. My pastor is trying to call. So I talk to them. I call my siblings, my two brothers and my sister. And obviously I'm a little bit shaken. Then when they start to bring the food out, I got another call from the hospital that she died. So obviously we got up. We went back to EWTN, to the network. Um, they said, don't worry, we're, we're going to cancel the shoot. Don't worry about it. We'll get you a plane to get you back home. You just take care of yourself. We'll, we'll handle everything. So they did. They were very nice. In fact, I spent the, the night with uh, Father Mitch Pacwa. He was my scripture professor in graduate school. and He was a good friend. He knew my mom. And so, you know, Father Mitch, you know, talked about, he let me cry. He let me share my feelings, and it was uh, it was beautiful. The next morning, um, I deaconed at the mass, and Father Wade Manises said at the mass. He dedicated the mass to my mom. Then I got on a plane and flew home. And for the week, you know, planning for the funeral, my mom was very organized. Very organized. I made one phone call; all the arrangements were already taken care of. Now she had told me, "Son, when the time comes, you're going to preach at my funeral." Yeah, Mommy, I I know. Son, when I die, I want you to, Mommy, I'm going to preach your funeral. Now I really had to do it. And so I remember walking up to the Ambo, and I was standing there, and just out of sheer habit, I looked down, and she wasn't there. And I looked over the casket, and I realized I will never see my mother sitting there ever again. And I literally slumped over and started crying uncontrollably in the ambo. Now it's time for me to read the gospel, and I'm a wreck. My brother, who's a year younger than me, comes up from the front row. He puts his arm around me. He said, Hey, man, we need you. Ever since we, you, we were kids, you were always there for us. We need you to be strong for us now. And he went and sat down. And I remember taking a deep breath, I said a quick Hail Mary. I composed myself, read the gospel, preached the homily, buried my mother. And for months after that, every time I walked into her room, I'd cry. Still smelled like her. Our stuff was still there. It felt like she'd be walking through the door any minute. And then the reading came along in the gospels of the presentation where Simeon blesses Joseph and Mary. Then he says to the blessed mother, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many and a sign to be spoken against. And a sword shall pierce your own soul so that the thoughts of many hearts may be laid there. And I thought, that's right. Mary knows what I'm going through. It's not just a matter of losing somebody that you love. I lost someone I was physically part of. I came out of my mother. Jesus came out of his mother. Mary understands what it's like to lose someone like that. So I said to myself, what if I laid my broken and bruised heart and placed it within the pure soul of the Blessed Virgin Mary? And where did I begin to do that? In adoration. And I, I remember one night, particularly in adoration, I was praying before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. I was saying, Blessed Mother, You know what I'm going through? I'm hurting right now. I'm, I'm laying my heart next to your immaculate heart, and I opened my eyes and looked at the monstrance, and it hit me. The Blessed Virgin Mary was the first monstrance. She was the first vessel that held in the tabernacle of her womb the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. She was the new Ark of the Covenant. And then I remember the very last line of the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 9, says this. Uh, verse 19, chapter, Revelation eleven nineteen. 19. Then God's temple in heaven was open. Remember, John's having visions. This vision, then God's temple in heaven was open, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. So John's looking up. There's the, the, the temple the temple opens, there's the Ark of the Covenant. The very next line, Revelation 12, 1. And a great portent <clears throat> appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, the moon on her feet, a crown of 12 stars around her head. She was with child. So, right next to the old ark, heaven opens up, and there's the Blessed Virgin Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant. So, the book of Revelation side by side in heaven. The old ark and the new ark. When Mary went to visit her kinswoman Elizabeth, that was the first Eucharistic procession. And what happens with us? We receive the Eucharist and then we are sent out. Mary's first impulse when she was pregnant was to take Jesus out. Our first impulse, after after we finish receiving the Eucharist, the Mass goes pretty quickly, then they kick you out. Get out! You just received Christ, the word of sacrament, now go be Eucharist to the world. Take Jesus out. When Mary gets to Elizabeth, maybe, I don't know, Elizabeth was doing some dishes, maybe prepping dinner. Mary greets her. Liz! Lizbeth. What does the word of God tell us? John the Baptist leapt in her womb. Oh. Isn't that nice? Now, some of you moms in here are going, I remember that. <laughs> when I was praying, the baby's moving. Honey, come here. Come here. The baby's moving. Oh, oh Feel that? A little kick. A little, oh, awesome. That's not what's going on here. The word they use for "lept" in Greek is skirta ao. Or if you look at the equivalent dalach in Hebrew. If you see how that's used in Isaiah or the Psalms. It's like a mountain goat jumping off a mountain. John the Baptist went nuts. Bah, 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 bah. Kick it all up in the, ah, why? The monstrance walked in. He began to adore. John the Baptist was the first adorer of our Lord in the monstrance of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And notice, oh, well, one little footnote here. When my wife was pregnant with the twins, toward the end of the pregnancy, she was huge. I honestly don't know how she got out of bed. Massive. So I'm staying close to home, obviously, because they're due any day. And she calls me into the bedroom. hon, come here. I walked in. Everything okay? Yeah. And she pulls the blanket down. And there's like an elbow (laughs) or something sticking out of her stomach. She says, push it back in. I ain't touching that. <laughs> she said, no, honey, it's okay. Just push it back in. I don't know if it was Benjamin or Sophia, I don't know who it was. But I was like, I was like, you sure? She said, yeah, it's okay. So I walked over. And I, oh, yeah, it was definitely an elbow or a knee, something hard. I went to push it back in. And a foot came out. I'm like, ow! <laughs> don't do that to your husbands if you're pregnant with twins. Don't do that. That's scary. <laughs> That's a true story, by the way, too. But here's the last piece. Notice it's not just when Mary came in. It's when Mary spoke. When Mary spoke, John leapt. Why? He recognized the presence of Christ in the voice of the Blessed Mother. So when our Blessed Mother speaks to us, we need to listen to her. Because just like any mother... She's trying to warn her children of danger. Now, back in the day, before cell phones, when my mom called us for dinner, she used to stick her head out the window and yell up the street, dinner! Or just call us, each by name. That was, we, we playing stickball or something in the street, we hear that, time to go, Poop. Now you just text your kids, right? Because every mother, right? Or if my mother saw danger outside, the car's coming, the car's coming. Every mother warns their children. St. Louis de Montfort says, The salvation of the world began through Mary, and through her, it must be accomplished. In the second coming of Jesus Christ, Mary must be known and openly revealed by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus may be known, loved, and served through her. Mary must become as terrible as an army in battle array to the devil and his followers, especially in these latter times. For Satan, knowing that he has little time, even less now than ever, to destroy souls, intensifies his efforts and his onslaughts every day. He wrote that 500 years ago, and he could have been talking about today. Amen? That doesn't sound like he's talking about today. He will not hesitate to stir up savage persecutions and set treacherous snares for Mary's faithful servants and children whom he finds more difficult to overcome than others. Our Lord told St. Faustina, Of the mercy that he wants to give to the world, if only we believed in his love. You know how many people I meet that say to me, that tell me truly from their heart, they have no idea how much God loves them. They literally have no idea how much God loves them. Those are the people we need to meet reach with the message of truth. Those are the ones that need to be prepared for what God is planning. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize that a lot of times we're lukewarm at best. Sunday after Sunday, we go to church, we hear the word of God, we receive our Lord in the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist, and we walk away, for the most part, unchanged, knowing full well that Christ is calling us to change our lives and to become one with him, but we reject him, for the popular opinions of the world. We care more about how many likes we get on social media than what God thinks. We're more concerned about what the person sitting next to us thinks than acting in accord with God's will. And at the end of your life, I guarantee you, God will give you what you wanted in this life the the most. He's going to give it to you at the end of your life. we allow ourselves just enough faith to be comfortable until that faith calls us to stand up for the truth that makes us uncomfortable. See, what happens is when we're sinning, when we're the center of the universe, we get stuck and we get comfortable. And the Blessed Virgin Mary is telling us in these approved apparitions, the messages, that if we need to take our faith to the next level, Take our family life to the next level, take our relationship with God to the next level, we got to get uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We got to get unstuck by picking up the cross of following Christ. That means we're going to be unpopular. We're going to be rejected by what this. So what? So what? You know, some in the States, we were so thrilled. I'm telling you, we were thrilled when we saw the videos because, you know, the news media, especially the communist news network in the United States, did not cover the, the protest you had against the bill, the abortion bill. They didn't show that. Only two networks showed it, that one of the conservative news networks and EWTN and Perusia. Actually, Perusia had the best videos. You could see. I mean, the news was like, yeah, there were like uh, over 100 people there. I'm like, did you see the video? There's thousands and at least 10,000, probably more than that. And we were watching. We were like, yes, that's what we're talking about. When we saw Australians just standing together, standing up for what's true and good and beautiful. That inspires us. That's awesome. That's the kind of witness that the Blessed Virgin Mary is talking about that we need to give to this culture today. But some of us didn't go. I didn't go because I wasn't here. You better believe if I was here, I would have missed. I probably would say, let me get the mic. (laughs) But some people didn't go Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I don't want anybody to see me out there with, uh, you know, uh, that's their thing. Oh, come on now. Come on. See, you're lip service to your faith, but when it comes, to t- comes time to stand up, when it comes time to defend that faith, when it comes time to get real, you stick your head in the ground like an ostrich and hide because you don't want anybody to see you out there on the abortion th- no. Each of us has been set apart when we were consecrated by the most holy trinity on the day of our baptism. We have been set aside and called for a holy purpose. To do God's work. We cannot think or act like anyone else. What does Paul say in Romans 12, chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1? Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so we know what is God's will, what is good and pleasing and perfect. We have to be armies in the soldiers of Mary. Now you say to yourself, why? You know, when I see pictures of the Blessed Mother, she's wearing the blue and the white, and she's gorgeous, and she's beautiful, and she looks so timid. And so, You know, but St. But Louis de Montfort calls her a warrior. I like that. Now, here's the thing. So, well, Deacon, my, that kind of sounds too rough, too military. Hold on now. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, remember it says it's not good for the man to be alone. Remember in the garden? He's by himself. It's not. But Lord, God says it's not good for the man to be alone. Why? Think about it. He's got it made. He got his garden of Eden man cave going on. <laughs> Nobody to mess with the remote. He's good to go. But why is it not good for him to be alone? Because God himself exists as a communion of persons, as a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So man by himself makes no sense because the family on earth has to be the image and likeness of the family in heaven. So what does God say? I will make a helper fit for him. Uh Uh-huh. Helper doesn't mean maid, doesn't mean cook, doesn't mean someone to do my laundry. Drive the kids to soccer class or whatever. No. The word is actually helpmate. It's a compound word in Hebrew. Ezer konegdo. In Hebrew, ezer konegdo literally means someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds, protects, and defends in battle. God wanted to create a battle partner for him. What's the battle going to be against? Satan. Sin and death. They fight together. And by the way, just a refresher, there is a hell. There is a Satan and a devil. You may have heard on the news recently that some high-ranking church people have said there is no devil. It's just a metaphor. It's just a literary construct. It's just fiction. But yet Jesus talks about hell in the scriptures more than he does about heaven. Why? He don't want us to go there. In the apparitions, which I'm going to read some of them here from Blessed Mother, she showed the children a vision of hell. There were people there. Faustina, vision of hell. There were people there. Padre Pio, visions of hell. There were people there. And people say there is no devil. They're going to find out soon enough. This. I hope you like it hot. The reality is we live in a world of eclipse, in a world consumed by the darkness of sin and death. We need God's light in the world now more than ever. Remember, Jesus says, don't put your light under a bushel basket. Nobody can see it. Put your light up on a hill so that people can see the light. And when they see that light, they will give praise and glory to God. We got to let our light start shine brightly in this culture of death, in the darkness that's in this world today. One of the greatest spiritual weapons in our battle arsenal is total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The last thing I did, once I knew I was going to start speaking full time, leaving my job, stepping out in faith. I did all the things, talked to my wife, all the stuff, did the business model, all that. The last thing I did was consecrate my work, all the travel, everything to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Total consecration. Because I, I ain't stupid. I realize I can't do this without Jesus. I can't do it without, I need all the help I can get. Mom, I need help. And when you need help, you go to your mama. And I went to my mother. You better believe it. Best thing I could have ever done. Consecrate everything I am and everything I'm doing for Christ and his kingdom to the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. At Fatima, the Blessed Mother said, sacrifice yourselves for sinners. And say many times, especially when you make some sacrifice. Oh, Jesus, it is for love of you. For the conversion of sinners and for the reparation of the sins committed against my immaculate heart. Our Blessed Mother is a beacon of hope that pierces the dense fog of anxiety and trepidation and illumines our path to the solid rock of our faith, who is Jesus Christ. All that remains is our choice to either accept God's love so it can prove effective, And faithful in our lives or cower in the darkness in order to evade the light of his love. No, this is very interesting. Jesus says, I have come to bring the light, but people preferred the darkness rather than the light. Now, think about this for a second. When you're a kid, you're afraid of the dark, aren't you? And so many times I remember when my kids, they wanted a little nightlight on because they were afraid of the dark. Now. Why were they afraid? Mom is there. Dad is there. There ain't nothing in the house. We got crucifix all over the place. <laughs> holy water. I mean, why are they afraid? It's just a natural fear of the dark. But then when you get older, uh, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not afraid of the dark. We still should be afraid of the dark. Because the darkness is not that shadow in the corner of your room. The darkness is what's going on in this world. And what happens when the light starts to pierce that darkness, what do we do? We pull, Like a rat, we pull back into the darkness. Like a vampire, we pull back into the darkness because we prefer the darkness rather than the light. Because the light, when it shines in that darkness, is going to start showing some stuff up. Our sins are going to start to be exposed. But that can't happen. We can't heal. We can't take anything in our life to that next level unless we allow that light into our lives. That's what the Blessed Mother is talking about. But we're afraid. And Jesus says, be not afraid. Now, what does a soldier in Mary's army look like? St. Louis de Montfort lays it out. We know they will be true disciples of Jesus. Imitating his poverty, his humility, his contempt for the world, and his love. They will point out the narrow way to God. Huh? See, there's so many people that rely on the lie all I got to do is be a good person, I'll get to heaven. You're kidding yourself. Jesus says the road to heaven is narrow and very few will find it, yet everybody thinks they're going. He said, the road to destruction is wide, and many will find it. They'll point out the narrow way to God in pure faith according to the holy gospel and not according to the thinking of the world. Their hearts will not be troubled. They will not fear any man, no matter how powerful he may be. They will have the two-edged sword of the word of God in their mouths you got to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, but we have to speak. So many young people tell me, all over the world, Deacon, I want to hear the truth, and we're not hearing it. They're not hearing truth. We have to take the two-edged sword of the, of the word of God in our mouths. Speak the truth in love and the blood-stained standard of the cross on our shoulders. They will carry a crucifix in their right hand, and a rosary in their left, and the holy names of Jesus and Mary in their hearts. That's how we prepare for battle. That's how we win against the power of evil in our lives. Now I want to end. I usually don't tell this part about my dad's story. But tonight, I'm going to share it. Um, when I, now, my dad and I were estranged for 18 years. I did not speak to my father for 18 years. In fact, I hated my father at one point in my life so much that when my kids were little and they had grandparents' day at school and they said, where's our grandfather? I told them he was dead. That's how much I hated that man. When I left my home to move out to Oregon to begin my life with my wife, my mother said to me, son, when you leave this house, there's only one thing I want you to do. I said, yes, mommy. She said, I want you to pray for your father. It's the only time in my life I can remember looking my mom in the face and telling her No. And she just smiled and said, I don't think you heard me, son. (laughs) I said, the only thing I want you to do when you leave this house is to pray for your father. (sighs) Okay, mommy. And so I would just tag his name at the end. Really didn't care. I'm just being straight. I just threw his name at the end. I didn't really mean it. I only did it because I told my mother I would. (coughs) Fast forward. My father comes to faith in Jesus Christ at 74 years old. During the 18 years that we didn't speak, he had cancer, prostate cancer. When I saw him for the first time after 18 years, he was a big guy like me, but he lost more than half of his body weight because of the chemo. He had big patches of hair missing. I almost didn't recognize him, my own father. But that began the process of healing. Now, I'm not going to, Tell the whole story because it's, it's on the CD back. But you can listen to it. But, but I just want to say this part of it. After I had that initial reconciliation with my father, um, I was, uh, I left my job. I was on a speaking tour in Italy. And my brother called me and said, hey, man, Pop's cancer is back. I'm with the doctors. They tell me there's a mass in his cecum. The cecum is what connects the small and large intestine together. He said, Pop didn't pass the heart test for surgery. So they can't do surgery because he's going he's to die on the table. So they're just going to hit it with radiation and treat him with chemo. But they tell me he's not going to make it to Christmas. He needs to come home. So I finished the tour. There was only a couple days left, so I finished it out, but I I had to change my airline to fly home through Newark, the city I grew up in. I spent three days with my father and my brother. On the third day, I'm about to leave to go back home. My father's sitting on the edge of the bed with his hand over his face. And I knelt down in front of my father and said, Pop, would you like to pray? Never prayed with my father in my life. He said, yes. So I said a quick prayer with my dad, and I said four words that I never thought would ever come out of my mouth. I love you, Pop. And he looked at me and said, I love you too, son. I always have, and I always will. And then I left to go home. And I thought the next time I hear from my brother, is for a funeral. I get back to my parish. Now, here's the thing. My parish is the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now, think about why I have such a strong devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm the first baptized Catholic in the history of my family. I was baptized in Our Lady Queen of the Universe in Barbados. I, when I immigrated to the United States, I grew up in Christ the King, the Son of Mary. I went to the University of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, our mother. When I was in a monastery, the, the church was St. Mary's. I was ordained a deacon 17 years ago in Immaculate Conception Cathedral in Portland. I now serve in Immaculate Heart of Mary. You see the pattern here? So when I get home from seeing my dad, I go to my pastor, Father Nicholas. He says, How was Europe? I said, It was fine, Father, but I told him about my dad. He's from Africa, from Tanzania. He looked at me. He smiled. He said, don't worry. Mary will take care of it. <laughs> I don't know what you talk about, Father, but well, all right. Mary's going to take care of it. So he basically, we have a legion of Mary in our parish. He ordered the legion of Mary to start praying rosaries every week for my dad. Fast forward. That was, by the way, October 2012. Fast forward to December 12th, 2012. Anybody know what day that is? December 12th. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe. I am preparing. I am preparing to go to mass. My brother calls. Hey, well, I'm at, well, Hari. My nickname is Hari. Anyway, Hari, I'm at the hospital. I'm at. The, I'm. I'm with Pop, and I'm with the doctors. I'm like, oh no. So I'm thinking to myself, does Pop have insurance? Uh, gosh, wait, do I have anything coming up? Funeral? Uh, fly to Newark? Um, I'm thinking of all these things. I said, okay, Jerry, what's going on? He said, yeah. I'm with the doctor looking at the x-rays and that mass in his cecum is gone. I said, oh yeah, I know it probably shifted lower. And He goes, no, it's not there. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I don't know. What did the doctor say? They don't know. <laughs> so I said to my brother, What does this mean? He said, I guess he's going to make it to Christmas. (laughs) My father lived four more years. Now, listen now. Before even that happened, my mother, remember, when she lived with us, a month before she died, a month before she died, my father had come and visited us for the first time met my wife and kids for the first time, and reconciled with my mom. They were divorced for longer than they were married. My mom brought me into the room and said, son, this is a month before she died now. She said, son, remember when you moved out here, what I told you to do? Yeah, I remember I told you no. She said, starting on that day, I prayed a rosary every day. For your father, with the sole intention of reconciling with him before I die. And that's what happened, son. I said, wait, 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 mommy, hold, stop. What are you telling me right now? You're telling me you prayed a rosary every single day for pop? Yes. Um, mommy, what happened after year five? After year 10? After year 20? You prayed every day for Pop? Yes. And you didn't stop? No. I don't have faith like that. And God answered my mother's prayers. Think about it. Day after day, month after month, year after year, praying for my father, and finally, at 74 years old, the light went on in his head, and he started to get it through the rosary. His cancer... Gone because that holy priest from Africa told ordered the Legion of Mary to start praying rosaries for my dad. That's what we're talking about tonight. This is how we need to be ready. This is how we're going to defeat the abortion bills. If we, if just a handful of people, that's one thing, but if we Everybody does it. Come on now. Now remember, hold on. Remember, I said something's coming. Remember, I said that I ain't taking it back, but I'll say this: God can change his mind. Remember, Abraham, um, Lord, I know you're gonna about to destroy the town there, but um let's say there's like 30 people there. You you, you you think you'd change your mind if 30 people were righteous? Okay, I'll, do it. I'll save it for 30. Um, how about 20? Oh, okay, I'll do it for 20. Uh, I don't want to push this, Lord, but like what about 10? Huh? God changes his plan when faithful people step up. Jesus did his first miracle. Wedding. He wasn't supposed to do any miracles. He was kind of a little upset with his mother because he wasn't supposed to manifest himself as God. It was not time to start his public ministry, but he changed his plans because his mother interceded. I think we can avert whatever it is that's coming if we step up and be faithful. And I think the rosary is the way that that's going to happen. If we started praying rosaries, heartfelt, heartfelt the miracle that happened to my dad, the miracle could happen in this entire world. So I end with this, my brothers and sisters. No matter how dark it gets, the light of a new Pentecost kindled by the children of Mary will grow ever brighter to set the world ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is not the darkness that dominates, but the blinding brightness of the light of Christ. Death gives way to life, a life that dies no more. This is the truth that we should not only proclaim with our words, but above all, by the witness of our lives. with the Blessed Virgin Mary as our queen and our battle partner We can rebuild a culture of life and move from sorrow to joy, from despair to hope, and from death to everlasting life. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation brought to you by Perusia. Perusia is an Australian-based apostolate bringing you the best in Catholic formation resources. Visit the website at www.perusiamedia.com. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.